we're in journey through Genesis, and Ron told me I got it wrong last time. I said it was part six. I haven't double-checked, and maybe it is part six now, but I thought it was part seven. But whatever this is, this is journey through Genesis. We finished up Genesis 6, or we started, we finished up 5, and we're in Genesis 6 now. And uh, it's great to have Taylor back, all the way from Canada as well. We're glad that she is here tonight. And uh, we're going to start Genesis, uh, we're going to finish up Genesis, well, we're going to get further into Genesis 6, maybe finish it up tonight, uh, and just kind of journey through Genesis, I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, your goodness. What a good God you are. I pray that you would just anoint me to speak. God, give us ears to hear. Give us revelation tonight. Our hearts are hungry. We prepare. We open our hearts, God, to hear the word of God. And I pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So we are in Genesis chapter 6, verses... I'll read verses 1 through 4. We touched on them, but let's just kind of hit it again. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now, those are controversial scriptures. We dealt with some of the controversies last time, but we concluded whatever you write into that whatever you see into that and we looked at some of the possibilities last time i won't go over it again the bottom line is this the devil was trying to thwart the plan of god and the plan of god was from genesis three fifteen that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and the enemy was trying to stop that from happening to corrupt that process I want to say a couple of things about these verses. 120 years that is mentioned here. My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. 120 years is not a lifespan promise. I've heard some people say that that was a promise, and then it was shortened eventually to be 70 or 80 years. Has anybody ever heard that before, that, his days will be 70 or, if by reason of strength, 80 years. And, and some will say, well, originally it was supposed to be 120 years, but then after the flood it was shortened to 70 or 80 years. And they go to Psalm 90 to be the proof text for that. Well, I got bad news for you, but it's really good news. 120 years in Genesis 6 is not a lifespan limitation. And 70 or 80 years in Psalm 90 is not a lifespan limitation for all of us. It was written to the generation that perished in the wilderness, Psalm 90 was. And if you'll remember, Caleb, Joshua, they were 40 and 45 years old. It was their generation that had led the charge 
to disobey at Kadesh Barnea. And so they would be in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. So that would be the generation leading in their 30s and 40s. They would die in the wilderness in their 70s or at 80. And when Caleb went into the promised land, he said, I'm 85 years old, but Joshua, I want that mountain right there. Joshua and Caleb survived and went in. So really, Psalm 90 is written, it's not a age limitation, and 120 years is not either. What does it mean his days will be 120 years? It was the period of time that the Spirit of God would strive with man. It was 120 years from the time this was spoken until the flood came. That's what that means. It was 120 years from this word until the flood. In Hebrew, the word strive means to plead a cause, to contend, to quarrel. So the spirit would would plead a cause with man. How would the spirit of God strive with man? Would Noah walk around speaking in tongues? No. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given like that in Genesis 6. Here's what would happen. The Spirit of God would strive with man by the Word of God. We've talked about this. To walk in the Word is to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in the Word. And 2 Peter 2.5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, he preached The Word. What Word? I used to think that Word was, I'm building a boat, there's a flood coming, you better get in the boat. But that's not the Word that he was preaching, and I'll deal with that in a minute. The Word that he was preaching was that ancient Word, that Proto-Evangelium we've talked about, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Noah was looking to the promised Savior to reverse the curse, to save him, to save mankind, and it's demonstrated. He demonstrated that by building altars, offering sacrifices, calling on the name of the Lord. That's the word that he was preaching and demonstrating. He preached that word by faithfully walking in it day in and day out, listen to this, for 600 years. Boy, we're looking at putting together a lifetimers group here at LifePoint. And that's for those of us that are, you know, we hadn't nailed the ages down, but we're looking at maybe 55 and older. And in our lifetimers group, you know, that's we're seasoned citizens. Noah was walking this out for 600 plus years. Talking about a lifetimer, right? Six hundred. We're going to start this out. Everybody 550 and older can come to Noah's class, right? 600 years. Now, here's what's interesting to me. When God spoke to Noah about the ark, Noah was about 500 years old. God knew. This old man had been faithful to the word for 500 years, to that old word, 
And if I give him a new word, he'll do it. How do I know it? He's been faithful to the old word for 500 years. There's something about walking in obedience. A lot of times we want God to give us direction beyond the next step, but we've yet to obey the thing that he already revealed to us. And if we don't obey that step, we're, we're really he's not going to shine that light on the step after that. You've got to walk in the word you know before he can give you any more direction. Amen? Some of us get stuck. We get stuck on that last word he gave us. Somebody told me recently, they said, I'm in a weird place. I don't know exactly where I am, and, and, and I'm trying to figure out my next move. And it was always told me by my mentors, don't worry about it. Just do the last thing he told you to do and keep doing it until he tells you what else to do, right? We get in trouble when, when we stop doing what he told us to do and we start trying to do something else. Do the last thing he told you to do and don't stop. He'll give you something else to do. And so the Lord knew in 120 years there will be a boat built because this old man built altars for 500 years. He'll build a boat. Noah had been faithful in the old word of building altars, calling on the name. If anybody will obey, the Lord knew Noah would. Now, <clears throat> that's fascinating. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Now, it's interesting to me. Noah did not just believe, but he moved. He moved with godly fear and prepared this ark for the saving of his household. In other words, he believed God and he showed us that he believed God by his obedience. And his obedience took place because he had this godly fear propelling him. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. If you're going to obey him, it's going to take more than seeing Jesus as just your buddy. He's got to be your Lord. You have to see him as the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of the universe. And we in the church have lost this idea of a godly fear, an awesome respect of him. But godly fear is what propels us to obedience, and obedience is fleshing out our faith, and that's how we receive. James said, faith without works is dead. So we see the process in Noah's life. He believed. He fleshed it out. He did it with the altars, and he did it with the boat. Amen? Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, 
and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I've preached about this. I've taught about this. I'm still amazed by this. Because if you'll notice, it says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man or of mankind, of humanity. It was great in the earth. Listen, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made all of humanity. Verse 8, but Noah. I don't know if you see what I see, but what I see is that everybody was off their rocker but Noah. Everybody had gone crazy except Noah. Now, we're going to see that Mrs. Noah apparently was in agreement with Noah. So maybe Mrs. Noah wasn't off her rocker. And we're going to see that Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the three sons of Mr. and Mrs. Noah, they were in agreement with Mr. Noah, and they got on the boat and their wives. So the immediate family of Noah would be saved. So we could say... It looks as if Noah was the last man standing, and perhaps his immediate family was standing with him. But conspicuously absent, conspicuously missing, listen, 120 years prior to the boat was the word that we just read. Everybody's lost their minds. I'm sorry I made any of you. I'm going to wipe you all out. But Noah, who was alive at that time? Methuselah was alive at that time. Lamech was alive at that time. That's Noah's father and grandfather. Methuselah was the son of Enoch. Enoch was not just a slea stack from land of the lost. And I have two references, two, two faces that tell me they know what I'm talking about. Enoch was a man who had his own personal rapture. He walked with God and God took him. He was translated, the New Testament says. He was close with God. He pleased God. We looked at that. He walked in the word. He built altars. He called on the name of the Lord. And Enoch had a son when he was 65 years old and named him Methuselah. Methuselah, the name meant when he dies, judgment comes. He had a Bible name. He was prophetic. He had a prophetic name, a prophetic calling. And he died seven days prior to the flood. But 120 years before the flood, Methuselah is not mentioned. I don't know, it doesn't say, but it indicates there is the possibility at least that Methuselah had quit building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. And then very obviously missing is Lamech. Noah's dad, Noah's own father, was alive and well. Named his son Noah, and the name Noah means... Curse reverser, when you boil it down, essentially, he will relieve us from this curse, from this pain. 
So names his son after the Genesis 3.15 passage. They're looking for the Savior to be born. Eve thought it would be Cain. Eve thought it would be Abel. So did the devil. The devil influenced Cain to kill Abel. Everybody's looking. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And Lamech thought my son's going to be the one named him Curse Reverser. But 500 years later, that's a long time, brothers and sisters, looking for the Savior, 500, twice as old as America, 500 years ago, this is the 500th year of the Reformation, Martin Luther, 500 years waiting, no relief. And Lamech, listen, is not on the boat. Noah is the last man standing. Noah is the last man building altars, offering sacrifices, calling on the name of the Lord, looking forward to Calvary's cross. When his family did not stand, when his friends did not stand, when his culture did not stand, when his church did not stand, when his world did not stand, Noah stood, and he stood alone. But brothers and sisters, he stood. Oh, if we could have believers of that character in these days, because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we're going to need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the parallels. It doesn't take a deep theologian to see the parallels. The world was exploding in its population. There was sexual perversion. We see that in those opening volleys of Genesis 6. Demonic activity. Constant evil in the heart of man. Widespread corruption. And violence. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. A parallel passage that speaks of the end times. Matthew 24, listen to this, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You don't hear that in church often, do you? Not in North America. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Well, praise the Lord. And then many will be offended. We'll betray one another. We'll hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Do you see this? When tribulation or pressure comes, there's betrayal. There's killing. There's hatred. There's offense. There are prophets that tickle people's ears and tell them what they want to hear and deceive people and because lawlessness abounds the love listen to this of many 
will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now, read that again. But read it with the idea. Listen to this with the idea of Cain persecuting Abel. Because he's offering a sacrifice of blood. And the Lord has respect to his offering. Read that with Cain hating him and killing him because of Abel's faithfulness to the word of God regarding the lamb. And you can take that into Noah's day all the way to ours. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated for my name's sake. Abel was calling on the name of the Lord. Cain was offended, betrayed him, hated him. He was a false prophet saying, you don't have to offer sacrifices of blood. Just bring your vegetables and your fruits and stuff. But he that endures to the end, he may get killed. He may be persecuted, but he's going to be saved, right? He's going to be saved. Verse 12 indicates that the environment in that Matthew 24, verse 12 indicates that the environment of lawlessness, that's unbridled rebellion against the word. That environment would cause the love of many to grow cold for the Lord. They would cave into the pressure. When I was a kid, man, I used to get mad because I hear these preachers talk about easy believism. And I'm like, well, it is easy to believe. And they talk about greasy grace and sloppy agape. Y'all ever heard those terms? I'm, I feel like I'm, it, it's so quiet in here. But I hear these terms like, well, it is sloppy. It's the grace of God and all that stuff. But I do get it. On this side, at it, it 50 years old, almost 51, I do get it. I do get it. There, there is a dumbing down and a shallowing of the gospel. And, and Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross and follow. It's going to cost you something. It costs Jesus everything. I can't earn what he bought for me. But for me to follow him, I got a cross to bear. I got a walk to walk that's not easy. And sometimes I'm persecuted and it's worth it. I love my Lord. And, and, but that love, if I'm not careful, in an environment of unbridled rebellion against God, my love can grow cold. That's what Jesus is saying here. That environment. Look what Peter said, 2 Peter 3. Verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, their own desires is what it means. Notice, not walking according to the word or the spirit. And listen what they say, verse 4. Saying, so in, 
in, in scoffers are going to come in the last days. And they're going to walk in their own desires, not the word, not the spirit. And this is what they say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. He hasn't split the eastern sky. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the final day of judgment. He goes on, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's amazing to me. Here's another parallel. In the last days, people are saying, where's the promise of his coming? Just like in Noah's day, Lamech for 500 years. Where is the seed of the woman that's going to undo the curse? It's been 500 flipping years. You know what? Hook this. I've built my last altar. I've offered my last lamb. Not going to do it anymore. But Noah, come on, boys, what you doing, Dad? Building an altar. Yeah, but Grandpa quit building that altar. It's been so long. Doesn't matter. Get a stone. Boom. Get another one. Boom. Come on, Japheth. Boom. Get me a flock, a, a lamb from the flock. Get that old lamb. Dad, man, you know, it's been so long. Give me the knife, boy. Puts that lamb on the altar. Almighty God, save us. Deliver us. We're calling on your name. Reach out to us. Don't forget us, Lord. We believe you said it. We believe you're going to do it. We're waiting. There's one cat that's just still waiting. I'm going to walk in this word, Lord. I, I'm going to walk in this, in this word. And, and I told you last time, the flood was a terrible thing. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. But he killed millions and millions of people in the Bible. How do you reconcile that? It was collateral damage. The greater good was getting the seed of the woman into the earth. Because if he didn't get the seed of the woman into the earth, nobody would be saved. And so the greater good was at stake. Anytime there was a threat to that word coming to pass, God did what he had to do if it was run right over you to get that word to come to pass. Noah's the last man standing. Hope is hanging by a thread. And God says, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to eliminate the threat. But there will be a woman named Mary. 
and the Holy Ghost will overshadow her. She'll come from the family of Abraham. It, the tribe of Judah, there'll be a lion that's born as a lamb in Bethlehem. And and my I will the seed of the woman will get into the earth. And so it was it was a horrific thing, the flood. You know, we made it Sunday schoolish. It's a nightmare. But the nightmare was to preserve that word that one man was faithfully plotting a lie. There are some people that are just plotters. You know what I mean? They're not they're not a flash in the pan. They're they're not they might not be flashy, but they're solid and they just serve God faithfully. I'm going to tell you something. God can do more with faithfulness than he can with flash any day of the week. Sometimes we want those get rich quick schemes and those in church we call it get big quick schemes and but you know there's something to be said about just faithfully plodding along and discharging your duty and doing what God told you to do the last time and not trying to get ahead of God, just walking faithfully. Noah just kept plugging along and plodding along. And God was not willing that any should perish. That's why the man that lived the longest in the Bible, Methuselah, is that when he dies, then judgment comes. He lived the longest because God's long-suffering. And so he gave men all this space of time to repent, to observe the faithfulness of Noah, to hear the preaching of Noah. But they didn't turn. Now, my grandfather, awesome man of God, pastored a, a church in southern Arkansas for many, many years. Uh, just a hero in my book, talking about a plotter. He just plotted along. He and my grandmother, she's 96. She's still around. She's awesome. Christine Hill, just uh, incredible. Can't wait for her to meet Lyra Jane. We've got to make that happen somehow. And Momo Hill, though, and Papa Hill pastoring. And I remember getting into a, a discussion with my grandfather one time. I grew up in church and really kind of cut my teeth in ministry early on in, in the 80s. And in the 80s, there was this real big push towards revival, like revival in America, and, and God was going to send a revival. There's going to be a revival in the land. Jazz hands, you know, like it was all exciting. It's going to be a revival in the land from the north, south, east, and west, like we're looking for God to send revival, Holy Ghost revival. Going, and, the, and the, you know, you had all kind of uh, people speaking in tongues and all kind of different denominations uh, like the Holy Ghost baptism had crossed the tracks and gotten the mainline denominations and Roman Catholicism and just like it was just, man, we were just thinking revival was coming and God was going to give us this great influx of souls and a harvest of souls, millions and millions. And I just, I cut my teeth in that era in ministry and I was excited and I was preaching, God's going to give us revival. There's going to be a revival in America. And, you know, our churches aren't going to be able to contain the revival that God's sending. And my grandfather, small town, southern Arkansas, very practical, and a farmer. And, you know, farming is seed, time, harvest. And so my grandfather said, son, he said, I, I know what you're saying. I hope all that takes place. He said, but, you know, Noah built a boat 
and it was only big enough for the animals and his family. He didn't hardly win anybody. And so, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So, do you still think there's going to be revival? Or do you think it's just going to be, you know, broad is the way, goes to destruction, narrow is the way, that goes to heaven, and few there be that enter in. Wow. That was depressing. You know, like, I'm like, oh, no, it's just us. You know, the... It's just us. It's us for it no more. Like I was trying to wrap my mind around that. You know, how I don't want to justify smallness in church and lack of vision. And I'm excited. I in the last days saith, God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Woo! And your sons and your daughters. I mean, I was, but Noah's boat was only big enough for eight of them. You know, eight is enough and the animals. And I was, I was trying to wrap my mind around that. Think about that for a second while I take a drink. And so, in trying to wrap my mind around that, I realized the purpose of the flood was not because God was wringing his hands over the sin and, and, and just, I hate sin. I'm going to kill all the sinners. Because if that's the case, why hadn't he done it again? There's a lot more people. Now, we talked about numbers last week. But let's just say there's more people nowadays. And there's more sin nowadays. And there's more ways to sin. There's the internet. And there's TV and satellites. and all, Like, there's all kind of possibilities. So why don't you just kill everybody if he hates sin so much? I'm not saying he doesn't hate sin. But the reason for the flood was not because he hated sin. It was to preserve the word in Noah to get the seed of the woman. There had to be a family of Abraham. There had to be a Isaac and a Jacob. And there had to be the 12 tribes. And there had to be a Mary. And it was all about preserving that line. And had that generation repented, there would have been no need for an ark. There would have been no need for a flood. Just like when later we will see Abraham is dickering with God saying, hey, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? If there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10, he's bringing it all the way down. Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities of the plain were a threat. He's going to wipe them out. But if there was enough. He wouldn't have to, but there wasn't. They were a threat. They remained a threat, and they got wiped out. Same with Noah's generation. So, are you with me? Look at verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. We've seen that before. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we'll hear more about them Soon, verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark covered inside and outside with pitch. 
and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. This is how you will make it. The ark was as long as a 30-story building is high, 450 feet or 150 meters. It was about 75 feet or 25 meters wide, 45 feet high. What is described is not really a boat, but a very well-ventilated barge. It was meant only to float and not to sail anywhere. An ark is a chest. It's not really a ship. It's like a shoebox-shaped vessel. The ark was large enough, about the size of the Titanic, had a cubit wide opening, 18 inches, all the way around the top for ventilation. It was not until 1858, that's a long time after the flood, 1858, that a bigger boat was built. It was big enough to do its job. If the ark carried two of every family of animal, this is according to Guzik, there would have been around 700 pairs of animals. But if the ark carried two of every species of animals, there were about 35,000 pairs of them. The average size of a land animal is smaller than a sheep. The ark could carry 136,560 sheep in half of its capacity, leaving room, plenty of room, for people, food, water, whatever provisions they may have needed. He said, you'll make it. And Noah did make it. Noah was faithful and built that boat just the way the Lord said to make it. And I love that also. He followed the prescribed measurements. He didn't say, I got a better idea. What about the shape of a triangle? Like, I like this. Ooh, I'd like to have some spires. And like, he built it exactly the way God wanted it built. Now, beyond the Bible, there is some historical evidence for the reality of an ark, a Noah's ark. In 275 B.C., Berosus, a Babylonian historian, wrote, but of this ship that grounded in Armenia, some parts still remain in the mountains, and some get pitched from the ship by scraping it off. Around A.D. 75, Josephus said the locals collected relics from the ark, showed them off to his very day. He also said that all the ancient historians he knew of wrote about the ark. Josephus, a very reliable source. In A.D. 180, Theophilus of Antioch, which was also a band here at Life Point at one time, wrote, The remains of the ark are to this day to be seen in the mountains. An elderly Armenian man in America said that as a boy he used to visit this ark with his father and three atheistic scientists in 1856, and their goal was to disprove the ark's existence, but what they found enraged them. And in 1918, one of those scientists, an Englishman, admitted on his deathbed the story was true. Now, this is anecdotal evidence, of course. In 1876, a distinguished British statesman and author, Viscount James Bryce, climbed Ararat and reported finding a four-foot-long piece of hand-tool timber 
at an altitude of more than 13,000 feet. Six Turkish soldiers claim to have seen the Ark in 1916, a Russian aviator in 1936, a British archaeologist during World War II, two pilots. There have been many, many stories. There have been attempts to find and document the Ark of Noah being found. Anytime I do a Bible study and this little chart comes up and it says Noah's Ark discovered, I always say I have no idea about that. I remember Leonard Nimoy years ago on a television show he had called In Search Of did a show called In Search of Noah's Ark. And he took a crew out and they said, you know, some of these stories, we, we believe that Noah's Ark has been found. I have no idea, but I believe the Bible. I believe Noah existed. I believe there was a flood. Every people group has a flood narrative in their history. I believe there is a primeval, there is a primordial, there is a, a, an understanding that comes from deep within humanity that there was a flood, there was a do-over, and God started all over with Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Now, we always say, and I'm coming to a close, but we always say that we're sons and daughters, right, of Adam and Eve. First man, first woman. But our genetics are going to get there through Ham, Shem, or Japheth. It's going to go through there. The entirety of the diversity of the genetic, the, the genome, the human genome, is going to be found in Ham, Shem, and Japheth. There was dormant genes that became dominant. There's expressions. I don't know how to explain it all, but we all are going to come from Ham, Shem, or Japheth, or a mixture of those, going to Noah. We're going to get to Adam and Eve through this bottleneck because of the flood. And let's look at verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Noah did it. Now what's God asked you to do? What's God called you to do? What's the last thing you felt direction from the Lord? You saw in the word. Have you stopped? Did you stop going there because of difficult times, perhaps peer pressure. Maybe it's because you didn't see the results instantaneously. My papa got some things right, that's for sure. Seed, lots of time, harvest. Now, he always liked to bring the grandsons in on the planting and the harvesting. He didn't so much want the grandsons there during the time. He wanted to see them when it was time to sow and when it was time to reap. And especially in the reaping part. And so we'd, oh my goodness, I, you have no idea how many, I may, I may be 51 years old. I may be a city slicker. But you got to know, I have picked my share of purple hole peas and butter beans and corn. I've shucked corn. I, I, I have uh, strawberries, watermelon. Uh, you, you have no idea. Sitting on the front porch. Shelling peas and shelling beans. I've done. Anybody else ever done that? 
and Papa would bring us in. What has God called you to do? And maybe you gave up on it. I want to encourage you. Learn a lesson from Noah. If you're the last one in your family standing, if you're the last one in your church standing, if you're the last one in your community, if you're the last one in Prairieville, if you're the last one in Louisiana, if you're the last one in the world, make up your mind. I, and I hope you're not the last one in your church standing. I hope that we're all standing together, okay? I'm just saying. But, but it, listen, be faithful. Be faithful. I mean, it is so important that we finish this thing strong. It's not so much about starting strong. Anybody can start strong. Finish it strong. Let's go out in a blaze of glory, right? Hey, if they make church illegal, let's still find a way to meet up. If they say you can't worship, let's find a way to worship anyway. If they take the Bibles away, let's find a way to smuggle a few of them in, right? Let's, let's find a way because that's, that's, brothers and sisters, the days are going to get dark. The days are going to get tough. And I believe that there is a harvest of souls. I, I don't have time. I opened up that can of worms. I don't have time to put them all back in. But the thing is, no matter what, man, let's stay faithful. Let's walk in the word. And let's see God have his way and bless. Can you stand with me tonight? I'm always amazed. That lonely old man, he saw everybody falling apart. He picked up a stone, took a knife to the throat of a lamb. He offered that sacrifice. I look at it like this, you know, as a church. If every church in this town takes the easy way, every church in this town dumbs it down, shallows it up, tickles people's ears. We've got to be so committed to truth that if it fills the room or empties the room out, we just speak the truth. We just plot along. We've got to be so committed. But I'm here to tell you that just as God blessed Noah, God will bless us. God will put his hand on us. He'll get us where we need to go.